Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Zen Minded Men. We're your host. I'm Sensei Art Gully. I'm Sensei Vincent Ellis. We're honored today to have with us as a guest uh, Hanshi Almady from Windsor, Ontario. I often tout Master Mady as being uh, the hardest working guy in, in Ishinaru. If you've uh, if you travel around the, to any of the tournament circuits or uh, you're familiar with any of the full contact stuff, the knockdown circuit or even MMA, he or, or his guys are there. And uh, his online presence is, is incredible. He's always sharing information. I mean, every day, this guy's not just talking the talk, he's walking the walk. And uh, I'm, it, it's awesome every time I get to see his, his input. So with that, I, I wanna welcome Hanshi Mady. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Um, just kind of doing my thing, everybody. I'm just a everyday martial artist like everybody else. But as I say, time and effort get results, and uh, I'm putting in the time and effort. So I hope uh, I'm getting results in uh, my own uh, training and uh, hopefully uh, touching people in the right way um, and uh, doing something for their training, uh, whether it's uh, you know, I say something a different way and the light bulb goes on. You know, we, we learn the Ishinru basics a lot. of sorry, Ishinru stylists. And, and we go to a seminar and somebody else is teaching an application. And go, oh, now I understand. Even though your sensei may have told you a million times, you know, somebody else says it in a different way. And that's, um, so I, I, what I want to say is like, I'm not doing anything different than anybody else teaching anything different, but maybe uh, if I say it in a certain way or demonstrate it in a certain way, it'll help somebody. Now, Hanshi, I understand you started martial arts at a very young age um, under uh, Mr. Markovich? Yes, yeah. Well, I started martial arts before that in judo uh, under Louis Furukawa in 1968. And then uh, Mr. Markovich, who was at my dojo today uh, in 1970. And it's great that my original Ishinru sensei uh, is still training at 80 years old and, and training at my dojo. That just is a, it, it, we often talk the benefits of martial arts in terms of not just your, your, your defense, but also your mental and physical health. And that's just proof, you know, that there's this, he's still teaching, he's still viable, he's still active. And, you know, even you yourself, you've been training. I mean, you've got to figure, you, you're training in 68. I was born in 68. So you are <laughs> and, 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 and handling business right when I was born. Um, what was it like uh, back in the oh early days of martial arts coming up? Because you're in Ontario. What was the karate scene like? Did you have to, was it really prolific or did you have to travel to the States more? What was it like coming up as a young man in Ontario with karate? Well, what happened was, um, this is, Windsor's Ontario's first place in Canada to get Ishinru Karate. And then we've spread it across the country from there. And uh, we had, uh, Grandmaster Willie Adams and uh, Lloyd Russett uh, to thank for having it over here. And Lloyd Russett is actually Canadian. Everybody thought he was American, but he lived and worked in the U.S. And uh, they taught at the YMCA. But there were in the early days, uh, there were some of the early practitioners going over uh, to the U.S. and uh, learning Ishinru Karate. And they brought it here. And they started at the YMCA, then later on into a church basement. And uh, then uh, the dojo that I trained at, which was um, 
on the corner of a street called Follette and Wyandotte Street East. And I have carried on the original dojo. So my dojo is carrying on of the original dojo. And uh, it was uh, training in, in those days, we didn't have much equipment. You know, there was a heavy bag in the corner. There were some mirrors up. And uh, as far as pads, there weren't any pads back then, which is great because everybody knows me. I, I don't like wearing pads. I don't have a bare knuckle fighter. But um, I guess that was a good early education for me. And then the pads came in. Jun Ri stuff started coming in with the uh, AccuChop and things like the AccuPunch. That's what they were calling those things, right? And uh, we said we started wearing them because he started sawing them in the dojo. But uh, <laughs> it was it was rough and tumble. We didn't have any mats. Hard tile floor. When you did your knuckle push-ups on that floor. There were little indentations in that tile, so you always had them in your knuckles. But um, it was great. Like even with my judo training before that, we had the worst mats and trying to break fall on hard cement underneath the, those mats. And the mats were like this. It weren't like the great, beautiful tatamis I have in my dojo. And when you when you hit the floor, my God, after every class, it felt like, like you got beat up, even though you're falling properly. But uh, it was it was rough. It was um, you know we learned our kata, but back then we didn't learn much in the way of bunkai. You know this is a block, this is a punch. It was simple. It was direct and to the point, which is good um, because you keep it simple. There's nothing wrong with that. Even my bunkai isn't fancy. It's but it's still direct and to the point. Um, it was. Uh, like I said, rough and tumble. When, when you fought, you fought. Like I said, we didn't have much in the way of pads. And you took a shot. You got kicked in the groin. Uh, you were lucky if you had a cup. You had to go to some sort of find a cup. And um, when you got swept, you got swept and you landed hard. It was a great upbringing. But then I trained in Detroit to get further training at Gratiot near Six Mile. And I trained there for many, many years in Lloyd Russett's dojo. And I was very lucky to have the opportunity to have uh, Master Harry Auckland come down from uh, Cleveland, who was senior to Master Russett, to uh, Master Adams, and so on. And he actually promoted them to their Rokudai, okay? And, and Bill Poe and uh, Donnelly. All four of them got promoted by Master Auckland. So I had the great opportunity for 10 years training in Lloyd Russell's backyard with Harry Auckland to uh, fine tune my kata and, uh, and my uh, kabuto. And I was just very lucky to have the instruction that I did. Plus having access to uh, Detroit, where you have most of the senior masters for our area there, such as Master Adams and so many others. I got a great opportunity to go and train with them in various seminars. You know, Master Bob White, I trained with him for you know, up in Northville for a, a few years. I got over to his place on Sundays, you know, I just trained. And uh, I, I picked up a lot of great stuff from a lot of great people. And none of them uh, played patty cake martial arts. They were, you know, you know them all. It was tough and rough and tumble. And 
you know, if you weren't doing it right, you were going to pay for it and you were going to get cracked or, you know, scolded out. And, uh, but you know what? It's great. That's, that's, I feel true karate. I mean, now it's not in all areas, but it's become too soft. And uh, I don't like that. Um, I don't want, I want to criticize anybody or put anybody down, but you, there's a lot of people out there that have black belts and they've never been hit. That's like going into a boxing club and never getting punched. And then you get attacked in the street. You got your pretty little black belt on. You've never been hit before. And getting hit is a new experience. Mentally, you don't know how to react. You don't know how to recover from that. You know, my kids' class, I don't know if people, any of you have seen the videos of my kids' classes fighting. I mean, it's contact fighting. My grandson has won the North American Kilkushin uh, championships twice, full contact. And he started at five years old doing that. It depends on how you're brought up in it. People say, oh, that's brutal. That's just, no, we're fine. We come out of it virtually unscathed because we have our defenses in place. We have our conditioning in place physical, mental, and spiritual conditioning in place. And that only comes from hard training. You know, samurai didn't train soft, did they? They were warriors. That's what we are. We're warriors. And um, they call it martial arts. Well, Mars is what? The god of war? war. And that's where that comes from. Martial. Military combat of art. We're not playing patty cake. So that doesn't mean that you go in the dojo and you beat up each other and brutalize each other, but you've got to have those skills and that ability to take a shot and give a shot. What did Mike Tyson say? Everybody has a game plan until they get punched in the yeah, face. Punch in the face. Okay. So, um, and I, you see so many crumble and you hear the black dog got beat up because he got, took a shot. He couldn't take it. He wasn't even really hurt, but mentally couldn't take it and went down and stayed down i mean that's that, one of the topics that uh, we we touch on me and sensei ellis and um i wanted your opinion on that this whole era of participation trophies mm -hmm. this whole era where you know we i, I came up at davidson dexter davidson so i got beat up yeah. a lot yeah and you know when i got to southfield with vince Vince was hardcore. So Southfield, it was not quite as brutal, but Vince himself was brutal. So me and him, we just formed, a, we had a great bond because we would just pound and ground. Being a teacher for so long and coming up in that environment, I understand the need to bolster confidence in our youth or make everyone feel apart. But what is your, what is your opinion on that? And you go to some of these tournaments and the, the kids, they get a participation trophy just for coming up. You know, they, they, they don't really put forth the effort to say, but yet they're going to get something. For one, I think that's bad in terms of just self-esteem, but also I think that that's kind of like diluting the purpose of karate. And I don't think we're putting out properly trained people if, like you say, you don't know how to take a hit. What's mm -hmm. one of the things that uh, in, in your school, how do you how do, how do, how do you break kids from that? Because I'm sure you get students of all who are expecting something for nothing. How do you yeah. how do you break them of that? Like, what, what are some of the ways that you kind of gently ease them out, but firmly let you know, like, hey, if you want something, you got to get it. You know, what? How do, what's your philosophy and how do you how do you get on that with it? Well, even with my children's classes, I, I like to start the class with some type of uh, little speech about things that are going on in life today. You know, uh, abductions, things like that, you know, making them aware. You know, and the big thing is 
not hiding things from them, but making them aware, not to scare them, but make sure that um, they are prepared. And with, with my training, for example, my, the first part of my class, it, my, from my children's classes to my uh, adult karate, to my kickboxing MMA classes or any class I teach, we have a very hard conditioning program, you know, with push-ups, sit-ups, but it's tough. Anybody can do it though. You don't have to keep up with the person down the line. You have to do what you can do and I'm gonna get more out of you, okay? And, and so I let people know that, that it's gonna to be tough. Uh, the next day you're gonna wake up real sore. You might throw up in that class. It makes my day when somebody throws up. I just love it, but yeah. <laughs> they know where the garbage cans are. Don't run and mess up my toilet and then take that bag and throw it away. You know, but uh, um, I'm tough on them. Let's put it this way. At competitions, for example, at the full contact competition, and you guys know we've done knockdown in all its varieties, whether it's Shirokan, we've won, Kyokushin, we've won, Sabaki, we've won. We've been to Bellator, King of the Cage. I've had fighters that have been to the UFC. Um, you know, Ishinru tournaments. I was Ishinru Hall of Fame champ champion for many years. And uh, back down there, they loved it. I had contact, you know. Um, but uh, my wife heard me talking one time to one of the fighters in the corner. And I'll sometimes use some colorful, colorful words in that corner. And she said, why'd you talk to him like that? Why'd you call them those names? Like I'll call them names if they're like messing up and they're, they're not listening to me. You know, one, one thing, if a fighter doesn't listen, they're worthless. Okay. If I'm in the corner, I'm calling out the instruction and you don't try I had one fighter tell me, well, I didn't think it was going to work. I never worked with that person again, ever. Okay. So I said to my wife, I said, listen, I called them those names. I got the best out of them and they won, didn't they? Didn't they win? I got in their head. What I do is I get my, my, uh, well, I get my opponent's head too, but I get into my student's head. Okay. It's a mindset. You have to have a mindset. You can have all the pretty technique in the world. You could be fast, you can be strong, but I get in their head so that up here they're strong and here they're strong, okay? And that's very, very important because you can have all the pretty technique in the world, doesn't mean you can fight. And what with my kids' class, I get them to understand that. They don't have, well, I tell them about bullying. I talk to them about bullying. I despise bullying. I, I was bullied when I was younger. One reason, because I didn't speak English, um, spoke Arabic, and I was smaller than everybody else. I despise bullying. And um, I talked to them about that. So I get them to understand things and how things really are. And I, I tell them, you know, if you don't win that tournament and you don't get the trophy, but you tried 100%, you did the best that you could, I'm proud of you. I am proud of you. If you didn't try or if you didn't do the training and you lost, whose fault is it? I tell them, it's your fault. Don't blame the instructors, the teachers. People want to put the blame on, on the senseis, the teachers, the coaches when they weren't doing the work. And I tell them, um, they say, well, you wouldn't let me compete if I didn't do the work. There's a few people I did because I had to get the, that uh, cockiness knocked out of them. 
because they just thought they were so good. And I said, okay, I'll take you to that competition. And they get their behinds whooped. They might get knocked out, whatever. But the rest of the team walked away with the trophies. But, you know, um, these participation trophies, uh, you know, it, it's it's probably the, the curse of society these days, you know. Um, and do, do we blame the kids? No, it's, it's unfortunately, it's just coming down from what they've been learning over so many years. And I, and I don't think it's right. Everybody shouldn't get something. You work hard and you will achieve that goal. And, and uh, first, second, third, even fourth, which is fine because two people fight and finish um, and they're fighting for third place. They fought just as many fights, you know. And so why not give them both at even at fourth place a trophy, you know, especially when you come down to the round robin and all that. So um, it's just, I get into their head. That's really all I do. I get a mindset. I get in their head. I work them really hard. And uh, I hate hearing I can't do it. No, you can. You might not be able to do it as well as that person down the line. You might not be able to do as many reps as that person down the line, but you can do it. And if you did one real good, one real good push-up, we're going to work from there. I let them understand that it's okay not to be as good as a person way down the line, but they could get there in time, right? Time and effort, they'll get that result down there. So, um, I mean, that, that's just my, my way of thinking, and it's worked for us. We've won in all these different competitions. So K1 in Japan, we went there five times. We've been all over the place. And, uh, and we did well. And when we did lose, we figured out why. Dusted off, went back right back in there and, uh, and did well again. I wish you can give that mindset to our politicians who, who, who tend to. Ours too, believe me, ours just, too. I just wish you could just, just all of them, Democrats, Republicans, go down the line and please give them that mindset. Well, I don't want to get into politics, but you know what? I think people have to start quit dividing each other up and just say, hey, we're all people and we're, you know, yes. represent us. What you can know? we do together? Yes. You know, it's, you know, we're all living it, man. You know, it's, uh, you know, we're all in this all in this globe is the same oxygen. Yeah, we have three main parties over here. You know, it's just I just shake my head. <laughs> shake my head. <laughs> One of the things I noticed, um, I was um going through your website and your accomplishments are amazing. And I got a chance to see you at a few tournaments and also doing the breaking, which I to me I always I'm astounded anybody can do the breaking because I try to do a little bit of breaking, but I mean. If you can break something, you know you can break any opponent. Yeah. But one of the things I noticed in your curriculum is your your you focus your uh, your self defense programs, and you specifically said you focus it so that ladies will be able to defend themselves. You know that there will never be a David versus Goliath where Goliath can't be beat. Is there a particular reason that you brought that out, or was there something that happened that you just that, that you knew a, a lady that got uh, you know traumatized or something, or do you just feel that? Ladies are the ones who will most often be victimized. So if you can structure it so that ladies, you have to understand, we will help you do this. Is there, is, you know, is that, or is this, you know, I'm just curious about that. Yeah, well, I, I taught for the Sexual Assault Crisis Center for many years. Okay. Well. And I, I've learned to teach uh, various programs by listening to the people that I teach. I've taught a lot of law enforcement. Um, uh, 
corrections officers, police officers, and uh, nurses, and ladies that have been attacked, raped, abused, and so on. And um, sometimes I hear this, oh, I can't do that. They're bigger than me. They're stronger than me. Um, I, could, I could never hurt somebody. You know, at the crisis center, I remember a young lady um, who unfortunately been there a few times. And um, she said, I said, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't, I, I couldn't do that. What do you mean you can't do that? What happened to you? They didn't care what they were going to do to you. What if they attacked your child? A lot of times that's a, a big trigger, you know? And uh, I tell them, what if they tried to attack your, your child? And they, well, you know, I, I'm going to do this. You got you to protect yourself. By protecting yourself, you're going to be able to protect your family. They have to understand that. And, um, yeah, I, I, I've just heard so many things from so many people. You know, uh, law enforcement officers, um, what happens to them? You know, so many people are anti-cop. I mean, there's, a, there's good and bad in everything. Okay, good ones, bad ones. I, luckily, I've trained a lot of good ones. And um, I've heard what they've been through. And a lot of them suffer from post-traumatic syndrome. You know, they, they, yeah. And they don't get the help that they should get. It's not always there or they're afraid to get that kind of help because um, now uh, they're kind of labeled, you know. And uh, I personally think that it should be mandatory in law enforcement that everybody on the force once or twice a year has to go to speak to somebody psychologist that type of thing and then be assessed and maybe they got to be taken off the road for a little while no big deal you know especially if everybody's getting the uh the assessment i you know uh, that's what money well spent rather than uh having to pay out uh lawsuits for law enforcement officer getting hurt for them hurting or killing somebody else if they were uh giving the right tools it's not about you know, I, I hate hearing about defunding. No. They, they have to fund them properly. It's about proper spending, not misspending. Whether it's in law enforcement, whether it's in medical care and so on. There's too much misspending within the government. And uh, it's just got to go to the right places. And then I think we'll all be better off. You know, it's, I just have this mindset about a certain way of doing things and the way I think. And uh, I don't know. Uh, it's worked for me. You know, and uh, I've passed on this mindset to women smaller. I'm, like I said, I was a small guy. Here's a great story. You know, I got picked on. And uh, in, in fifth grade, the uh, teacher brought in wrestling into the school. He knew I'd already been studying judo. But I didn't go around bothering people. I never got into fights. I was in track and field. I was a sprinter, you know, and uh, I was always athletic. And he knew I was physically very strong. It's genetics. My dad was a very, very powerful man. And, you know, luckily, I, you know, I'm physically, to this day, I'm 62 now. I'm still real strong. And um, he knew that. So he put me up against the bully in the class. And he had pretty well half the school in the gym that they'd introduced wrestling in the school. So he puts me up against the bully who was taller, bigger, older. Tie up, hip throw, nice old bullshit, pop, pin, 
right? And the kid, kid's laying there when knocked out of him. He grabbed me, raised my hand, and he looked. He says, and he can do this to anybody in the school. Bullying stopped. A week later, he decided he wanted to bring some boxing in, and I bloodied another guy's nose. And you know, But <laughs> you can't do that in the schools now. Teacher will get fired. You know. But I'll tell you what, it, it, it prevented a lot of things from happening. We, we're babying people too much. We don't want violence. But certain things have to be done to stop that violence. And I try to have those talks with my, my students, you know, as a martial artist, um, have those talks with them so they understand it. Myself, I've had over 300 real fights, probably a lot more. I was a bouncer in biker bars, okay, in the 70s. In the 70s, what you see on TV um, or in the movies doing martial arts? You saw Bruce Lee. Here's this young guy doing the same stuff in these bars and throwing people and rolling over tables and chairs, you know, jumped flying sidekicks, which I did, you know, all kind. Of, and they're going, where did this guy come from? <laughs> and uh, I learned a lot from that. As I said, I learned a lot from the people I teach, but I learned a lot from my experiences. So I teach from actual practical experience. I'm not basing it on theory. Theories are great, but in some instances, theories will get somebody killed. Like when I teach law enforcement people, I tell them, if you train with people that just base it on theory, in your line of work, you could die. You want to train more people that have been there and done that. So I've been there and done that. I've had that swung at me. I've had knives pulled on me. I got a couple knife scars on me. I've had a couple guys try to pull a gun on me. The last guy that pulled a gun on me, ended up with reconstructive surgery on his face. He was a professional heavyweight boxer. I punched him once and I broke the entire face mask area and pushed it in. But he went for his 38 snub nose and I knew he carried it. He already said that he wanted to kill me. So, you know, had to do what I had to do. Basically, he would have died right there. Um, and I, and I, here's my mindset. I didn't care because he went for his gun. He wanted to be a punk. Actually, you want to be a man? He actually swung at me from behind first. And I just covered. And uh, he was a big boy, you know, big 230-pounder. And uh, what got me through that is mindset. Okay? And uh, it all comes back to here. We can have all the physical attributes. But if you're not willing to do it, you're in a whole lot of trouble. In a self-defense situation to survive, how far will you take it? Because some people will take it way up here. Well, you better be up here then, or you're going to die. You're going to get hurt. And I learned this from talking to people in law enforcement, from talking to uh, the ladies I taught in the crisis center and the things that had happened to them and how they were hurt and some that did fight back and, and how they fought back and found out when they fought back physically, they found out that these people that were they were fighting back were just bullies. And I use the word punks. They were punks because when they saw they had a fight on their hands, they backed off. Right? They bullies, attackers, that type of thing. They don't want a big fight on their hands because then they have to be there for too long. And if they're there for too long, chances are they're going to get caught. 
the whole idea with them, you know, committing this crime is for them not to be caught. So you put up a fight, they may be caught. And uh, I tell my children's program, you know, we talk a lot about if somebody tries to abduct them or take them and uh, talk about the, the, the purpose of the ki and, and so on. And I tell them, use that ki, that yell, that spirit yell, to draw attention to what's going on. If somebody grabs them and tries to take them away, the bad guy will come up and say, you better not say anything. If you say something, if you yell out, I'm going to hurt you. They're not going to hurt them right there. They're not going to hurt them right there. Put up a fuss. Make as much noise as you can. Kick them in the shins. Kick them, gouge them in the eye. Fight them until you get help. Because if they take you away, that's when you're going to get killed. You know, I have this one scenario I cover with my woman's self-defense. So for anybody, you're walking down the street. A car pulls up, windows down, you're on the sidewalk. And the guy's, hey, hey, and gets your attention. Then, boom, he's got a gun. He's like, get in the car right now or I'm going to kill you. Get in the car right now. I'm going to blow your head off. What are you going to do? I'm going to get in the car. No, you're going to turn and run, run in the opposite direction. The car's facing, make a lot of noise. They're not going to drive backwards like in the movie and start shooting. Okay. You know, all of us have been gun range. Know that you're not going to shoot that well that way. Anyway, um, they said, yeah, but I, I could get shot. I said, listen, <laughs> according, according to the FBI stats, if you turn and run, you have a 95% chance of getting away scot-free. And they go, well, what about that other 5%? Now listen to me. You get in that car, there's a 100% chance that you're going to be raped or killed or both. So take that 95% chance and you run and make a lot of noise. And, um, you know, I get into their heads. I talk them that way. Sometimes I'll use some colorful language, but I do it. So they, they relate to it and they see how serious it could be. And uh, just that's my style of, uh, of teaching. I think the harsh way is, is, is a good way. I do that with my wife. You know, we have three sons. But when we first met, she's been with me my whole martial career. And one of the things I would do, we would go places together. She would go do her thing. I would follow her deliberately so she would know and then I would in public I would come up and grab her or and do whatever now it's been some times where she's elbow need and every time she does she's like oh I'm, I, I was you and I'm like I'm so glad you did it because you didn't know it was me mm -hmm. so I think it's very important I know Vince does that with his wife because uh yeah Ella will, Ella will kill you too but I think it's I think too much but <laughs> I bet you guys sleep with one eye open too yeah no kidding <laughs> <laughs> I got a Sicilian wife man I don't mess oh, with man. oh man! <laughs> yes, the fire, the fire in the blood. <laughs> oh. Why Chucky? He's half Sicilian, half Arab, right? It's like, woo. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, um, really, I, and I'll say it again: it, it's not just about all pretty technique. Now, it's it's great to be a, 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 a you know good technician. Um, a good technician can beat that brawler if they have the mindset but you got to remember the brawler has that mindset he's trying to kill you you better have that better uh, the same mindset or better 
Okay. And then now use technique. So you need to put the, again, physical, mental, and spiritual together, but tough, strong, and not brutal. You know, anybody can do this, you know, from eight to 80, you can still do it. Um, but you know, baby steps and you work your way up. Anshi, I have a, a question. We, you, we talked about some of the stuff that you guys do there in your dojo with the various types of training and various types of competition, uh, the knockdown, uh, fighting, whether it was Kyokushin, Sabaki, or, or the Shidokan. I'm, I'm really interested to know where that part, how you found that path. Just, you know, I grew up, there in the in the Detroit area and in my martial arts training the the knockdown fighting was not as as uh I guess it was harder to find if, if that's what you were going to do there wasn't yeah. a lot of promoted knockdown fights in the area uh so I'm just curious how how you come across that path and and then did you know well, you know, I mean, you came out of Dexter and Davidson Dojo. That was rough and tumble. You know, that was like, let's go in the alley and, and, and let's see who comes out. Okay. And I love that attitude. But, um, you know, I had a lot of the same upbringing. But we just, you know, sparring in tournaments, um, it was fun. Point tournaments was fun. Speed and finesse, score that point. Um, and that's great. I mean, the timing that point fighters have is unbelievable. And if you can mix that into somebody who can really crack you, you know, that's, that's great. But um, I don't know. It's the group of students that, that I would get were kind of rough and tumble people and I would spar with them. And I always incorporated ground and stand up because I started with judo and I wrestled for eight years. I was a gold medalist. I always incorporated. So if they, the bigger guys tried to tie with me, I, <laughs> I'd throw them. You know, I'm not going to sit there and let them get an advantage. So I, I was lucky that I had that training. But um, so I always did something like that. And then we looked for competitions. And we were very lucky that on your side of the board, you had Kerry Roo, who ran the fights uh, up in Rochester, Michigan, uh, one Friday a month. And we kickboxed there for so many years. All my fighters. People say, how does your son have 300 fights? because he started like this high and there's a picture over Kerry Roop's ring of Kerry Roop's son and my son, uh, my uh, son fighting when they were like five or six years old, kickboxing. Okay. And I bring other people and I, I got to admit, we were a little bit crude, but we were tough and we got in there and we scrapped and every month we'd go back and we'd go back and go back. And then, uh, you know, years later, when things changed in the fight game, Kerry would let some grappling happen. Um, you'd stand up, take him down. You could submit on the ground, but no striking. Later, you know, he added, you know, some, you know, some uh, ground and pound and, and striking on the ground. Uh, we introduced a couple of knockdown matches there, so people got to see what uh, bare knuckle full contact karate was. We. We just had this knack of, of contact fighting. And the first full contact bare knuckle uh, events that we competed in were in the Sabaki World Championships. Here we are agreeing at that kind of stuff technically. And we went right into their, their World Championships. 
And I mean, my first time in, I, I beat the Japanese champion. I broke his ribs, then, but he damaged my legs. Second fight, a doctor didn't, me, didn't give me the all clear to fight. I argued with him, I went and fought anyway, and I shouldn't have, <laughs> my leg was gone. But um, we, we developed our abilities by trial and error. We didn't know how to leg block. You, you know, we have a gate on, but I, okay, you do that in a, a, against a skilled fighter who can change up on you and crack you in the head, you're in a whole lot of trouble, okay? I did that and I got caught, okay? And uh, against a seven-time Chilean uh, kickboxing champion and he had the legs and he caught me. I came in, bang, bang, his body, but I couldn't really move my left leg. He kicked it, kicked it again. I thought, I don't want to get kicked there again. I brought my hand down. He changed up, kicked me in the head. And we chalked that up. We learned, we watched the videos. We learned and we said, wow, you know, we can do this. And what happened? I trained guys to win lightweight, middleweight, heavyweight in the Sabaki Challenge. I took second in the world in the early days of it, you know. Um, then we met people from Shidokan in the dressing room. They said, hey, we do this and you can throw each other. You guys look like you could do that. Yeah, we could do that. Next thing we did, we won lightweight middleweight, light, heavy, and heavyweight, okay? And then the Kyokushin people, we were going to their tournaments. Because we were the only, in Windsor, the only game in town did a lot of heavy contact, people that came in from out of country that had done Kyokushin in Europe came to us. And they said, well, you know, we, we kickbox and we do a lot of heavy training in the dojo. They liked that. And uh, they introduced us to Kyokushin. So I've been doing Kyokushin since, um, oh, 19, uh, what was it? About 1990, 89, 90. And uh, we thought, this is pretty cool. We got to try some of these tournaments. So we looked up where some of the tournaments were. And we said, hey guys, road trip to Montreal. And we went to Montreal. And, uh, we uh, went there, they had kids divisions, intermediate, advanced divisions, black belt divisions, they had divisions for everybody, full contact. And we went there and we did great. We won, actually, you know. Uh, then we found uh, friends through that one event that had other events, more in Chicago, Rochester, New York, and then we started going to Rochester, New York for the American Internationals, uh, North American Championships. And we started uh, fighting in that from the early days. For about 30 years, we've been fighting in that one. And we've captured all the divisions and the, the novice division, semi-knockdown, which is, don't let the word semi fool you, it's full contact with pads. So you wear little cloth knuckle pads. Now you can wear MMA gloves, cloth shin and instep, um, cup, mouth guard, and headgear. And uh, it's still full contact. And you can use your knees, your elbows, everything. We we just started doing well at, at those events. Then we went to Manhattan uh, and, and then Atlantic City. And we started fighting in all those events. And we're winning. So I'm in that Atlantic City one time. He's uh, a concho now, but Sean Henry O. Nice man. He says, Albert, we've got to meet with you. 
Okay, I thought they wanted me to about rules of the tournament. Calls me in, we sit down, said, we really like what you're doing. Um, we would like you to join our organization and be our tech, technical advisor. I said, but I'm not Kilkushin. He says, no, you're Kilkushin. He said, and I said, why do you want me? He says, because you keep beating us. I didn't show them everything though. <laughs> you know, <laughs> got a few tricks up my sleeve. But what well, we had in Ishinru, and people just don't seem to understand this or get it through their head. We have everything a boxer has and some. Because don't we have an uppercut? Backside and lead side. Now, lead side, you call it an up jab. Okay. You got your right uppercut, you got your hooks. Right, straight punch cross. So you got the one, two, got the three, you know. We have all that. We have elbows. We have kicks and, uh, and kicks and knees. We have all that. But we have oh, what we had over the Kyokushin guys and a lot of the knockdown fighters was the, the hands. We could box because we kickboxed for years. They didn't box very well. They did straight punches or just wild hook punches. On those wild hook punches, we just covered up one straight down the middle. Okay. Um, you know, when they tried to, you know, go straight on, we just angled because we have that mission right out of our basics. So what I did was I was able to learn how to use our karate. I learned how to use it. And that's put people down, but a lot of people don't know, really know how to use their karate. They, may, they might know how to use it one particular situation, one type of scenario, but you've got to be able to go with the flow. Like Bruce, Lee said, be like water. And that's what I did. So this, you know, event, well, the rules are a little different. No problem. We adapted. A good martial artist has to be able to adapt to the situation. You know, you might say, well, my right side is better. And I always use my right side. But in the street, anything can happen. You can't say, hey, buddy, can you attack me on my left side? Because I'm not so good, you know. <laughs> All right. So we, I, I just kept learning and learning. And we, we just fought. And uh, we, somehow there was a method to my madness. We kept winning. And in, in everything. And so in that full contact world, I, I'm well respected, and they've taken me in as Kyokushin. Right away, they gave me a fourth time in Kyokushin. I said, I don't know all your katas. So I went to their camps. I started learning their katas. Um, I, tra I trained their world teams a couple of times. And uh, the training camps in Kyokushin are, are, you know, you see the Masayama training camps, you're running through on the beach, through water, and all. I did all that. Okay. And uh, it was really funny. A lot of the Shihans come up to me and say, oh, Shihan Maiden, you don't have to do that. You're a trainer. I said, if they're doing it, I'm doing it. I lead by example. You know, I'm not going to stand there and put my thumbs in my belt and, you know, just tell them to do it. I'm going to do it. And I'll whoop their asses too, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I gained their respect. And so how do we get into it? We just evolved. Because if you stop evolving, you'll go extinct. And I was, I was quite honored. And uh, I got a chance to learn a lot that way as well.
And it, it helped me, you know, teaching them. Again, I say I watch people and I watch what they did as well. So I improved on my technique. It's just that I had some uh, good ring savvy. That's what I had. And then I picked up on their style of fighting, their fighting techniques. And then we had our own. We had better hands. We incorporated the kicks with the hands. And uh, as you see, um, you know, we do have the kicks. You see my son's Yoshiro Mawashi, he's spinning hook kick. I mean, he knocks people out with spinning hook kick, spin back kick. And uh, I mean, we've done those things in Ishinru, but Kyokushin, that's kind of their bread and butter, their high roundhouse kick, low roundhouse kick, and so on. And we picked up on that. And then we fought in a bunch of Muay Thai events. And we just we just kept learning. And we learned from uh, competing with them, from actually training them. Uh, and uh, it just went on from there. So, uh I'm a martial artist. I want to learn. If I stop learning, um, then uh, I'm just going to seize up and just disappear. That's no good. You know, it's uh, people say, here's another thing. I was competing in Atlantic City at the World Kyokushin Championships. I competed in Kata that day and then in Kabuto in weapons. I, do, I used to do, uh, well, I still do, but uh, Yurashi Bo and uh one of my students walked over he's one of my fighters he said why are you practicing i did it about 10 times before i went up to compete there was 30 competitors it's a world tournament and uh i didn't say anything i just kept practicing then i got called up went up there outscored everybody took first place and then i walked over to him and i said that's why i was practicing it's uh you know I just, I, I just train, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm learning, I'm practicing, I'm watching, and uh, I'm, en I'm enjoying what I'm doing, you know, and that's the key as well. Uh, are you enjoying it? If you're enjoying it, you're going to excel in some way. You don't have to be, as I say, you don't have to be Bruce Lee, Jet Lee, Li, or Al Mady, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> you know. Have fun with it. Enjoy it. And you're just going to stay in the game longer and keep learning. Empty that cup, as they say. Yeah. Do you, you, know, do you just saying that emptying the cup, obviously, you know, you're a, you're a high ranking, you know, master level martial artist uh, in, in multiple styles, but you just listening, you know, how important is it? in the longevity of the martial art to maintain that student mind, that Shoshin, so to speak. You should keep it. My children's class will tell you the three rules of my dojo. Look, listen, and learn. They will yell it out. What are the three rules? Look, listen, and learn. If I'm looking, I'm listening, I'm going to learn. You, you have to have that student mind. Um, you know, people will, uh, have said to me, why you, my own students, why are you going to that seminar? They hear I'm going to a seminar. I go, I like to go to seminars. Why? You're this rank. You're that rank. That doesn't matter. You know, I sometimes I say rank uh, for a lot of people is really rank. It stinks because, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my sayings. Yeah, you're rank, all right. But, <laughs> um, and not to be 
demeaning or put the people down. There's a lot of great people out there. I've had the opportunity to train with a lot of them and learn from them. But sometimes people get on this high horse that they can't be taught anything else. Heck yeah. Like I said, it might be the same thing, but somebody else said it in a different way and then it clicks on and you do it better. Right. So um, I enjoy going and training. And when COVID's done, I'll be going uh, over to Michigan quite a bit to train. Um, I, I just, it's close for me. And there's a lot of people that I want to train with still. Uh, once my dojo's, uh, dojo closes down, I'm going to have more time to uh, spend on myself. I will be opening a small dojo just in my garage for private lessons and small groups. And I'm going to be happy with that. I'm not going to have the overhead of six grand a month. You know, uh, yeah. You've seen pictures of my dojo. It's 10,000 square feet, okay? With everything, ring, cage, tatami mats, 29 heavy bags, speed bags, makiwara. I mean, it's there. But it took 50 years, three years of me training to get to that point. COVID smashed it, unfortunately. And it's funny here in Windsor, there's a lot of empty buildings. But to try and lease one of those buildings now or buy, can't do it. Very expensive. Don't ask me why. Well, I do know why. The government's giving a lot of these landlords tax breaks to keep their buildings empty. So it's a great write-off for them. So unless you want to pay that high the, uh, square footage, they don't care because they're still making money. And they're not paying taxes. Okay? So, yeah, you know, it's <laughs> man, the little guy got reamed. Man, I'm telling you. But um, Crazy year. Yeah, so I I don't have to take busloads of people to competition. When I went to a competition, people see this bus coming in from Canada, whether it was at the Hall of Fame, or whatever. See fifty people get off, and we, you know, they you see them. It, it was funny. I read something online one time about our team. They said they saw all these Canadians getting off their bus with all their gear and big hockey bags. If you see those hockey bags and those Canadians, run. <laughs> <laughs> You're in it, you know. I just um, now I'm at a point where I'll, I'm going to train people. Of course, my grandsons. I got three grandsons now. My son still wants to fight. We're still trying to get into karate combat. Um, the politics in the fight game is ridiculous, um, but uh, I think. You know, I'll train people for some competitions, but having smaller groups, I don't need to get off a bus with 40, 50 people anymore. I've been there, done that, and I've done that for so many years. And uh, I'm still going to be there to help my friends uh, officiate at their events, uh, get on podcasts. I've been on a lot lately. I've officiated at two or three world tournaments online uh, in the last year. And... Um, you know, I'm humbled that they're asking me to do this, you know, and coming to me, which is great because I, there are far more senior people in the in Ishinru than I. But uh, I'm glad that uh, people are kind of looking and, and respecting what I'm doing. But uh, because I'm passionate about it and I'm trying to do it right. Um, but with the with the dojo closing, I'm, I'm not going away. I have all these affiliates all over the place. And uh, we have a new dojo in Berlin opening. They've been open for a while, but a new building is opening. I've been there several times and I was in the new building while it was being constructed last year. 
I got back from Berlin two days before the airports closed. It was March of last year. That's <laughs> my driveway, you know, teaching because I got off the plane, my dojo's closed. And I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to do? I can't sit in the house watching Netflix, you know. <laughs> and uh, I got out. And it was still cold. It was still icy. And I was out there doing it, man. And uh, teaching breaking, teaching conditioning. Uh, you know, uh, I'm a martial artist. And that's what I've done all my life, basically. And uh, I will continue on. Students have called from different regions. What's going to happen to our association? Nothing. It's not going to disappear. I'm there. I'm still here. I'm still going to teach you, whether it's online. The beauty of, of Zoom and things like that now is that we can all connect to it this way, too. I did an international Zoom black belt testing for my people June of last year because we were supposed to do our international gradings and national gradings. May, uh, we call it the May 2-4 weekend, long weekend in May that we have here in Canada. And we do a thing called the Ishinu Expo up in Thunder Bay, Canada. Everybody's welcome. We get people from all over the place. Hanchi uh, Marilyn Fierro, Hanchi uh, Nick Adler, they came up. You know, a variety of people came up. And we do three days of training and teaching with 20 different instructors from different styles. And, you know, um, it, it's great stuff. We have a lot of fun. And, of course, one day we concentrate all on the Ishinru, the basics and cleaning it up. Then we have one night of, well, full day of gradings. And then a banquet. We have a lot of fun with it. We don't throw a tournament. It's just all training. And um, it's the largest Ishinru gathering in Canada. My students up in Thunder Bay put it together. And they kept saying, well, you know, Hanchi, um, Everybody was expecting a test and uh, test last uh, May. What are we going to do? I said, well, you guys suggest to me. And at that time, I didn't know much about Zoom or anything like that. Well, we can do this thing called Zoom and grade people. I had to think about that because, again, I'm a hands-on guy. I want to get my hands on you and hit you when you're doing San Chin. Okay? I, I can't do that virtually. So... You know, I want to see your bunkai. I want to hear the other person go, Ugh. you know, I, you know, the vibe, I got to have that. But all these people, I've seen them do it so many years and been there and done that with them. I said, okay, for this grading, we're going to do this. And it went over very well. We had Andy Tandra from Romania test for Rokudan. We had some people from up north in Canada test for Rokudan and on down. And it went very well. Um, I'm lucky I had a lot of good people who knew how to run the whole uh, uh, computer stuff and uh, just point me in the right direction and I'll watch and I'll teach. You know, and uh, yeah, um, we've done a lot of different things. COVID, I, and please, nobody use that, that term, the new normal. There's nothing normal about all this. No, I, <laughs> I hate I that term. I, it's not, because it's not normal. One no. day, back to normal, all together at a tournament, at the party after, and mm -hmm. back to it, right? It's forced, uh, COVID has forced everything. And one thing, for anyone who's listening, if you're not familiar with Hanshi Mehdi, um, on during when COVID first kicked off and all our dojos closed down, I was in, you know, the, the, the plant sent us home. 
I would do my training, he would do full classes, like the full, like 45 hour long classes video. He would post them on YouTube, on the Facebook. And I'm gonna tell you, you put your gi on, he's in his driveway. It, it's raining, it's snowing. And sometimes he's okay, hold on, it's raining. I gotta put the bag over this camera. And he's in full gi. Now, the fact that he's in full gi in his driveway, that's the dedication. And I mean, it was, it was, it was just like you were at the dojo and then you were in your living room so if you get a chance, if you come across any of his videos, watch them, you will learn a lot. And it's just like the training is there. So you're not going to get stint. The only good thing is that if you are doing Sanchin, if he's working, because he would work on basics and Bunkai, the only good thing is that because he's virtual, he won't get to hit you. So you won't have to feel the pain. But other than that, you know, but um, Hanshi, one thing that um, you're renowned for breaking, and I got a chance to see some of your breaking demos how did that come about? You know that because you're 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 just a breaker. Well, when I was a kid, I broke all my toys. My parents stopped buying them for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm kidding too. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I you know, um, when I was younger, uh, Mr. Markovich, my original Eastern Room instructor, who taught me Lamont Kersey. You know, um, he was uh, you know, our original instructor and we were training partners and he's older than I am, Lamont. But um, anyway, we would practice together and we do demonstrations to promote the dojo. You got to remember in, in that in the 70s, you know, people wanted to see, especially early 70s, uh, see karate. And they say, saw all these movies on TV and Bruce Lee and, uh, you know, some of the ninja movies that started coming out, you know, and uh, so he had Mr. Markovich had us go and do demonstrations at the library at community centers and part of it was learning to break some boards and we always had Makiwara in our dojo and uh just I just got a knack for it I wasn't afraid to hit here's the thing a lot of people are afraid to hit I'll get people tell me they're black belts to come to my dojo I get them on the heavy bag I tell them you know let's see what you got on the heavy bag um, cause I can assess them on, uh, when I see them move and I see them hit something and a lot of them, I find it's not that they can't hit, they won't hit up here again. They won't let it go. They're almost afraid of hurting themselves. I'm not afraid of, of, uh, the pain. Um, I tell people cause I've been married 37 years, but, <laughs> <you know. laughs> People ask me with all the extreme stuff that I do. Do I wake up with pain? Yeah, every morning she's right next to me. <laughs> should, should, we edit you know, that <laughs> should we edit that out to avoid home. you getting hurt? <laughs> she's not home right But she's heard me say this before. We have a great <laughs> She just gives me this look, you know. But that seriously, I'm not afraid of, of getting hurt. It's like bare knuckle fighting. I'm not afraid of it because I trained for it. You trained for it. You conditioned for it. I did everything I could to get to that point, and then I go and break it. Uh, so it, it started off because I would see the black belts in our dojo when I was a little kid. I'd see them hitting these wooden boards on the wall. I'm like, what the heck are they doing? This is funny and not funny. I saw them hitting a, the makiwara the one day. They had three makiwara there. So they went to the dressing room. I'm just a young kid. I walked over. Ah, okay. I went, boom. My knuckles swelled up. Oh, man, that hurt so bad. 
I had to hide my hand from them because I would have gotten in trouble for doing it because they hadn't taught me to do it. And then I thought, well, I'm not going to let that hurt me anymore. And I just learned to do it. And, uh, you know, sure, we all started breaking wood. And people say, wow, sometimes, oh, you're just breaking wood. Sometimes wood is harder. If you get a green board and you hit it, you leave knuckle marks in those suckers, man. I mean, boom, it's like, wow. You know, so I've been hit, you know, when they hit me with the two by twos. And that's one thing I see people when they do it, they use these eight footers. Like, come on, be real. I use five and a half footers. You want to get hit with some, get hit, you know. Um, you know, they use these uh, cinder blocks that are, they, they powder. I don't use that. I use hard stuff. I had a guy one time, I did a breaking show in Northern Canada after a kickboxing show. I broke all the bricks and up north they make them harder. Believe me, they were hard. I could feel it. But uh, I saw this one guy take a brick aside and he wanted to see if it was real. And he goes, boom. And you see him going, oh, I thought he broke his hand, right? But what I do is for real because I, I don't play tricks. I, I, you know, I, I'm a real martial artist. There are days where I punch the bricks and they look back at me and they didn't want to break. I mean, it happens once in a while. I've kicked that. I'd say 99.9% .9 of the bats I've kicked, they broke. But I've had a couple that I just bounced off of. Actually, uh, Vince Toya guy, <laughs> I owe him. But I did... Uh, we, we did a fundraiser for Charles Rice, you know, and uh, I, I went over and I did a breaking show and um, he, they, they went and got the bats. These bats were red in color. And wow, those are different. And they spent a hundred bucks a bat. And well, why'd you spend a lot of money? I'm just going to smash these things. Well, I broke everything else. Everything went broke real nice. I come up to the bats and I got Mr. Gilmore. You know, Mr. Uh, well, um, Justice, they're, they're, they're holding, uh, you know, two big guys, 300 pounders, holding the bat. It's not going to move. Boom, I kick it. I bounced off of it. I bounced. I kick it again. It's an indentation in the bat. I wind up, I kick it again. And now the bat has actually worked. And I, I look at the eyes. I'm sorry. You see, guys, how hard I'm hitting this thing. It's not breaking today. And I didn't even hear a crack. I listened to it at the back, like on my first shot. If it doesn't break first shot, I listen to see if there's a crack. If there's a crack. I'm, I'm going to go through it. Then I look, I got back to Windsor. I get on computer. I look up Easton bats and I look up the, the code. Well, they're made with a resin that has what they call a bounce back factor. So they're made not to break. I bounce back every single time. Boom. I called Vince. I said, what the heck did you buy? Was, I don't know anything about bats. Oh, and, oh, my God. So the lesson there was always bring your own materials, but do it legit. As I don't know if you guys saw, my son has Guinness Book of World Records. Did you guys see that online? Mm -hmm. just, yes. Mm -hmm. yes. Yes. Only him. He's got media coverage from all over the world on different TV networks, everything. So he sent me and a few other people sent me a Guinness Book of World Records for the most bats broken in a minute. And I'm, I'm looking and I, it's a, it was out of Japan and I'm looking at these bats and I've seen people break these bats before. They're pure white. 
these are not Louisville ash bats or maple bats. And I've broken maple bats, which are 20% harder, according to sports science, than ash bats. You know, and I can get through three ash bats. But I'm looking, and these things are just snapping. It looks like they're barely hitting them. Snap, snap, snap. He's running along there in these uh, stands. And he just runs along, kick, 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 and runs back, kick, kick, kick. He broke like 60 in the minute. Okay. So my son says, Dad, we can try and set this up. And you, you know, we have the pod, these podcast guys who set up the Guinness Book for Chucky. And we have direct access to Guinness now. Um, we can set this up. You can do the, the bats. I said, Chuck, stick one of my bats in the middle of the, that guy's bats. I'm going to watch him bounce off him and he's going to cry. He's probably going to break his leg. I said, if they get me the same bats, then I'll do it. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee you, I'll break more because what I'm going to do is three at a time. And I will. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't talk out my hat. That's what I'll do. But um, that is gold that set the Guinness Book of World Records. But then I want them to have a separate category and do Louisville Sluggers. Right. Okay. And we'll go from there. And there's some phenomenal breakers in the United States, some friends of mine that break. They're, they're very good. And probably go head to head with them. They're they're excellent, you know. So, um, but we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I I do want to set that record and kind of eat those guys that you know that uh, did it before. <laughs> <laughs> It'll happen. Yeah, like yeah. Think, it's got to be it's got to be a level playing field. You want the exact bats that they had. Yeah. So, they, so let, and then, but you know what? Actually, that's kind of a bad thing because then you get the exact bats. You double or triple it. Now they're looking like, well, dang, what? I mean, he broke a hundred bats in one minute. What exactly? What are these bats made of? So yeah, I know, but you know, it's Guinness. <laughs> uh, I think they should they should check the bats and and have a standard. When I used to break at the World Championships down in Florida, the Coronado Springs uh, hotels for ISK, uh, they checked all your materials. You know, and uh, are they legit or not? I mean. I saw a few hokey breaks and that, but there's always some some of that. And they said, well, it's legit. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like I said, I, I do it legit. And uh, either you can break it or not. It's like with me, like people that do steroids. Uh, if you won a competition and you were on the roids, you didn't win. You didn't win. Uh, you didn't win. That's uh, told them to their face. You didn't win. Sorry. You know, do it without it. You know, I've done all the things I've I've done in my martial arts career without any, you know, uh, enhancing drugs or anything like that. It was just hard work. Yeah, that's it. Put that time and effort and you'll get respected. But if people think, I call them juice monkeys. If you're a juice monkey, people aren't going to respect you. You know? I guess. (laughs) Hanshi Mady, question. uh, Again, you you mentioned uh, your international organization, yeah. The, the European traditional martial arts community, uh, and I'll start with, with Ishinru, we, we kind of give credit to three uh, people for bringing Ishinru from Okinawa to the United States and kind of springing out from there. Where are the roots of the European lineage of Ishinru? I mean, it seems like it's pretty popular in, uh, you know, some of the the Eastern Bloc states, you know, Romania and, and so forth. Um, yeah. 
how how are they getting their well you, you gotta remember there are a lot of people uh stationed in in okinawa japan and, and various places um the Ishinru uh, fall that I, I that's under me in um, in Jordan. Okay, he just retired from uh, from the military. He's a colonel, and I, I was looking into his background when I heard there was Ishinru in Jordan, and I, I started talking to him. And then when he found out that he served under one of my uncles, my uncles were generals. Uh, and then he respected, and I knew I was legit. And uh, I found out that he got his training in the Philippines when he was stationed there. I said, well, who taught you? He said, a gentleman named Abbas. Abbas trained under Harold Long. Abbas, uh, there was an Iranian uh, uh, student at the university who trained under Harold Long, who took Ishinru back to Iran and had the largest Ishinru school in the world in the 70s. Like he had 700 members back then. If you look at the book, uh, where is it? I got it up here somewhere. Who's who in Ishinru? Yeah, I'm in it. But <laughs> <laughs> you better be. <laughs> well, I, I was only a six man back then, you know, way back in the day. <laughs> I'll tell you, man, I, sometimes people make me feel old. They come in, hey, uh, Hanji, you taught my grandfather. I want to smack that kid. You know, it's like, <laughs> come here. <laughs> How old do you think I am? But I'm lucky. A lot of them say, well, you're in your 40s. Okay, you just got your yellow belt. <laughs> but in this book, if you look at who's who in this group, the pages are filled with the Iranians. Huge. So now I have Iran under me. Okay. And um, because of the connection with Jordan and then the Iranian found out who I was, he started following me and then we started talking, but it came from a gentleman named Sensei Abbas. Where Sensei Abbas is today, I'm not sure, okay? But um, in Europe, uh, from what I understand, because I don't know their whole background, but um, a lot of them traveled and went to Okinawa. A lot of them were military guys. And, you know, they picked up on Ishinru in Okinawa. They also ended up meeting uh, American Ishinru practitioners and studying in university in the United States and then taking it back to their countries and keeping in contact with uh, American uh, senior sensei and then, of course, getting in contact with uh, uh, people in Okinawa. Master Oezu, he, he traveled the world back in the day, you know? And he, I mean, we had him here in Windsor when I was a little kid. And uh, I remember him tossing me and almost, he almost broke my thumb. I was just a little kid. But uh, um, some of them traveled. But here in North America, sometimes we have the arrogance of thinking we're the only ones that had it or know it or, you know, we're had access to it. We're not because uh, a lot of people were, you know, I mean, when, when I went to Iraq back in 2017, the base there that I was on was a coalition base, people from all different countries. And, you know, on Okinawa, there were probably other bases, other people that, you know, I've never been to Okinawa all these years. One day I hope to have the money to do it. You know, just 
for the historical background and, and culture. I want to learn it and feel it, you know, and all that. But um, the in Romania, Andy there, he, he trained under uh, Lars uh, Anderson. And um, Lars, he traveled. He was a military guy. And uh, he trained under Fred. And I don't want to say the man, man's last name wrong. Vandeveer, something like that, you know. Uh, from the Netherlands and uh, Fred uh, trained a lot under Steve Armstrong so there's all that connection you know and uh, you know uh, we all came from the same roots no matter what you find that I guess what is your opinion of the methodology of training in Europe or the Middle East versus the North American continents? Is it fairly compatible? Are we all doing things kind of the same way or are there any major differences? Um, yeah, it's compatible other than their fighting style. They, they have uh, adopted more of a Kilkishin style from way back, from way back. Uh, what I found in India, however, uh, in You've probably seen videos, and I, I've got some from way back from a tournament that uh, uh, Sensei Salio sent to me uh, years ago. And um, their, their kata, their basics, almost look like a mix of Ishinru and Shotokan. Because everything was very, very tight, very rigid, very locked out. Uh, some of them have now started to convert to start looking more like us or like what Ishinru really should look like as far as I'm concerned anyway. But uh, I think they all had that, that hard style uh, karate uh, background, background um, a lot of Shotokan in their, in their training. And I've met a lot of them and trained with a few of them. Nice people. Um, and they're starting, Sensei Salio was uh, at the Hall of Fame last time uh, that it was in uh, Gatlinburg. And I, I went up to him and I told him, I said, I'm, you know, I'm glad your katas are really getting much smoother. You did much better this year. You're looking good because he's the one who sent me this video from years ago. And it was very, very tight. And I, I'm not putting it down. It's just that's how they were taught. That's what they were training in. And that's how they did it. But um, I see the Europeans uh, with the, the fighting style is more uh, full contact kickboxing. Uh, and uh, and knockdown. What is the perception of traditional martial arts, particularly in like the the, the Middle East? Because uh, like I know, like wrestling is the national sport of Iran, right? Uh, yeah. Grappling yeah. is huge there. So yeah. how do they view as a, a culture? I guess. Uh, is combat sports just in general welcome or do they see the, the traditional martial arts as a little bit, you know? No, they, they like, they, again, even in Europe, I mean, in Middle East, Shotokan is very big. People don't realize how big and how much traveled it is and Taekwondo. And uh, I mean, look, in the 60s, 70s, I mean, Taekwondo schools were everywhere. Um, and everybody was a Rokudan, but, <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah, um, I got a chance to train. Um, so 2004 and 2005, I went back to Jordan 
and uh, I needed somewhere to train. And I was able to train at uh, Mustafa Faouri's dojo. He uh, he was uh, he did goju, and uh, he did uh, jujitsu. And I got a chance to train with him. And his team was a national uh, karate team. He was one of the trainers for the national karate team. And I trained them for a day. And I saw that they had a lot of passion for it. They, they loved it. And uh, contrary to uh, you know a lot of perception, the class was mixed, men and women. And uh, you know people just don't really understand the Middle East. It all depends on where you're at in the Middle East, OK? But uh, yeah, it was a very, very good club and excellent students. The sensei was very, very good. Uh, you know, we fought there. You know, Chucky fought in Bahrain, and we got a chance to train at some of the dojos there while we were there uh, getting ready for the fight. And it was actually the very first uh, professional MMA match ever held in the Middle East. Chucky won it. He's the first Arab champion, which is nice because we're Arabs, you know. But then we fought in Jordan uh, a year later, and uh, we saw a lot of good martial arts. We trained at the uh, King Hussein uh, fitness facility. And this one room was huge, like a, a huge gymnasium. On one corner, they had, it was all mad. In one corner, there was an old uh, gentleman uh, teaching Goju. And he was Japanese. Didn't get a chance to go over and talk to him. Uh, there was a, the uh, national Taekwondo team um, in the center mat, they were training and getting ready for some national competition. You see those national competitions, Shotokan Taekwondo are very, very big in Europe. Huge, huge. Uh, they get a lot of backing too. You know, they got sponsors. The government will send them, you know, places. We don't get that so much here. But um, I did see excellent martial arts, good traditional martial arts there. Yeah, I enjoyed it. What's your view on... Um when we, we talk about traditional martial arts and we're, I consider, we keep saying uh, we're traditional martial arts, what's your view on that it's in terms of the, how everything is becoming the MMA and, and the kickboxing and people are kind of getting away from the traditional. It's like you say, Ishinru has everything that you need to defend yeah. yourself. I mean, we yeah. have everything. We have boxing, we have grappling, we have low yep. kicks, we have high kicks. People don't even realize we have high kicks because we sure. very seldom use them because most people can't get their leg up high. But what's, <laughs> you know, with the sudden craze now that you know, people, they don't want to say, oh, well, you know, I'm kickboxing or, you know, I'm, I'm MMA. I said, but what do you have as a base? Because MMA is basically a bunch of stuff that you learned. You got to have a base to me. You call yourself a mixed martial artist, but if you don't have a foundation in something, maybe you have a foundation in wrestling or maybe you have a foundation issue with Shotokan. People are kind of forgetting that all of this stuff came about because you had traditional martial arts that were put together. What's how, how do you see that? Well, how, how should I phrase this? we're kind of getting away from the traditional mindset that you do actually need to train in something. What, how, how, how can we come back from that? Do you see that? Did, are you noticing that as well? Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great question. I've had to uh, deal with that a few times. First off, um, people don't understand what traditional martial arts is and what the meaning is. Traditionally, martial combat arts, battle war, meant to maim, cripple, or kill somebody. People have gotten away from that. They want to have 
family-oriented martial arts. My club is a family-oriented martial arts, but when they walk outside, that family is going to be able to protect themselves, right? It's how they're brought up into it. Again, we're not brutalizing anybody. They're loving it, you know? So um, that's the thing that traditional martial arts people have hurt themselves. The lack of respect for karate, as opposed to um, MMA, is the fault of many martial arts instructors for letting it get so soft. And it has, I, you know, people get mad at me for it, but it's gotten soft. And uh, they got, they want that, they want that respect back, because some people say, oh karate karate guy oh okay yeah but i'm an mma guy they don't say that to me because i'll punch your head off right you know serious i'll choke you out boy you know that's what i'll say to them like no you know i've real quick i was in a dressing room fort huron my team was fighting mma and we we're paired up with one of the other main teams out of london ontario the senior instructor um was an uh, was a UFC fighter rated uh, number one in the UFC in the lighter weights, 145 pound. He trained at my dojo for two years while I was going to university in Windsor. Nicest guy in the world. Great attitude. Not like some, you know, fighters' attitudes. This guy, nicest guy, um, just, just class act. Okay, when he trained at my dojo, um, Chucky was a little kid. I'm sparring with him, and I popped him. And uh, Chucky says, Dad, Dad, stop. You're going to knock him out. I said, Chucky, he's a Canadian kickboxing champion. He's an MMA fighter, but now he's fighting with the big boys. Okay? I'm a street fighter. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back, and then I'm going to hit you again. That was good for him. He became great. And, you know, I, I hope I contributed to him being, you know, a UFC great fighter. And his fighter, we hadn't seen each other in a long time. His fighter in the dressing room saw us talking, came up to me and he said, hey man, I know who you are. What's the difference between what you do and what we do? Like he was doing very aggressive, trying to get in my face. And I look at my friend, the, the, the student that I, the guy I taught for, who was his coach. And I got up and I said, listen, I'm going to tell you what the difference is. Me and you go outside right now, go in that back alley. I'm coming back in two in two minutes and calling you an ambulance. He knew I was serious. And then his his coach grabbed him and said, Hunch, you beat my ass before. What, you know, you better just shut up. And we sat him down and I explained. I said, listen, this is what I do. And he said, what would you do if I put you in a rear naked choke, a karate restraint? I said, I'm going to bite you. I'm going to gouge you in that. I'm going to kick you in the groin. I'm going to, I'm going to do all this. I'm going to rip something on you, you know, and I'm going to try and rip your ear off. I'll bite you. He says, well, you can't do that. Who says I can't do that? That's <laughs> traditional martial arts. I'm going to use every tool that I have to win. Because in a street fight, taking second place, you either got beat up real bad or killed. Am I going to drop the guard in, in a confrontation? Um, when I got five guys coming at me, I got my black belt in jujitsu last year. Okay. And I love the ground game. As I said, I've been doing judo and wrestling since uh, 1968, 
So you're in a in a in a fight and all the bar fights and there's five guys coming at you. I'm gonna drop the guard and try and grapple with you. No, because the other four guys must stomp your brains in while you, you know you're trying to grapple with one. Everything has its place. In the street, there's no referee. You can't tap out, and no bell is gonna save you behind. Okay, so you the problem is a lot of karate or traditional martial arts people traditional martial arts people have lost that concept that mindset i talked about mindset right off the bat you got to get that back you know we don't want to sit under some light and go oh you know it's oh you're supposed to be respectful and yet no we're not we're respectful we're not starting anything but i tell you i'm going to finish it one way or another I, you know, I can control it with, if you have that skill set, I can take you down, use use of force skills, or I can, you know, do worse. All depends on the situation. Use the amount of force needed for that situation. If you go beyond that, well, that's not right. Okay. But I'm going to do what I have to do to win. So karate people have got to come back to that if they want to get that respect. And in my, in my dojo, a lot of people take the karate class and the kickboxing slash MMA class. They call it sport combative class because we'll do stand-up, we'll do ground. We'll, we do, when we mix it up, we're doing knockdown. We do a mix. And um, my students, you know, some will come in, well, I want to do the MMA. And I say, get into my class and eventually you're going to do some, you know, submissions and so on. You're going to start with the stand-up. Yeah, but I don't want to kickbox. I want to do MMA. A lot of people don't understand the martial arts, whether it's sports or the traditional end. They have a they have an image in their head of just what they want to do. Okay, and they they see a match on TV. Like I guess tonight isn't there? Is it tonight? Big uh, UFC championships tonight? I think. I think so. I'm not sure. You know, and uh, they they have this image. They may have seen a fight. Well, went just bam, take down, bang, 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 and they think that's that's the whole game. They don't understand all the tradition, the training. They don't understand that a lot of the greatest MMA fighters have that base. They have something to stand on. You got Machida, you got Saint Pierre, and so so on and so on and so on. That all have a traditional base. They all are black belts, or their coaches were. So they they they're learning. And they've learned from people that have that traditional base. But a lot of the kids today don't seem to understand that or respect that. I want to be an MMA fighter. You know, or the funny th thing is, will you teach me UFC? I, I've heard I had that question. <laughs> oh, my God. They call up. Well, <laughs> you know, you try to explain it to them. They don't get it. They don't get it. I try to educate people on that. And, um, yeah, that really irritates me because we have to bring karate, traditional martial arts back to what it really is. You know, um, Motobu was a street fighter. You know, <laughs> he went out and beat people up. That's why they didn't send him to Japan. They sent Funakoshi there because he was more refined. <laughs> you know, but uh, I know a little bit of my history. <laughs> Yeah, does that answer the question? 
Yes, yes. sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. It's a, it's, a, it's a topic we discuss often because, I don't know, I, I could be, and I just, I, I, I go back to it. One of the things, like, um, one of my sons, he trains in um, Isher under, under Master Adams with me. My other sons, I started them training. They don't train for me at the dojo, but we're always doing stuff at home. And, and one of my sons is always, when we're doing stuff, he says, well, you know, but that wouldn't be fair, and that wouldn't be fair. And I'm, I'm impressed upon him. I said, it's a fight. There is no F-A-I-R in the word fight. There's only the F. That <laughs> means fight. There's, it doesn't matter. It's about surviving. If it's a threat, you eliminate the threat. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking that so many people get that mindset. Karate is about defending yourself. The original Okinawa Masters designed it to survive by yeah. any means necessary. And mm -hmm. we've kind of lost that. And so I, what really bothers me is when I hear folks, they find out that I train. And of course, you're going to get the, the little teasing and all of that. And then they'll do something. And I heard them. And they're like, whoa, I said, you, you're mistaken. If a person is training hard in karate and he gets beat up, you want to blame karate. No. How hard did the person train? How many times did he do his basics? How many times did he do those push-ups? How many macawar? How much how much angle training does he do? You know, did he tie the ropes between his feet to make sure he's got the everybody wants to blame karate and not the person who was learning karate. And that yeah. kind of bothers me. And it seems like the MMA, this whole thing, it's just like a big windfall to say, oh yeah, karate, you know, I can do this MMA. So I, I really, we always like to talk to our, our older masters because we need to, we need that. We need you guys back. We need the mindset that you came up with. I mean, to cut it short, we, we need traditional mindsets to come back. You I didn't old? say we need the old guys. I said, we need, yeah. we need our, we need our senior masters. We need okay. uh, that re-infusion of that. <laughs> I don't older. I don't know, man. It's like, thank you. <laughs> Back over in the U.S. <laughs> we need to bring back that mature mindset. I think uh, you meant to say there mature mindset. There you uh, go. <laughs> but what, one other point on that, too. You know, because of the barroom brawls I've had, multiple attackers, things like that, people have to understand, too, karate, because you're just studying karate, is not the end all. I've seen guys and run into guys that had no martial arts training at all. But we know what they had. They had that mindset. They're going to kill you. Very yes. dangerous. If they get the first shot in, you might go out. You know, in a fight, you pit two people together. And sometimes it's whoever gets the first best shot in. doesn't matter what they know, what they were doing. Sometimes that happens. Okay. By, by what I tell my, my fighters in the ring, I told my students, you have to respect Say you're going up against somebody who's a world champion. Respect that they were world champion. They did all the work to get there. By respecting that, you're going to be sharper because your defenses are going to be in place because you know that person can put you out. You, know, you might be training and you've beaten everybody so far. You're undefeated. And now you get to the chance for that title. If you think you're it, you know, and you're not uh, taking this person serious, you're going to get knocked out. You're going to get beat. Respect. If you respect that they could hurt you, you'll be better because your defenses will be in place. Saying that, I also tell them there's a reason, two reasons that person's world champion. They worked really hard to get there. Second one, they didn't fight me yet. Right. Yeah. Yes. And you came up under. 
But Master Adam, so I know you've heard this because he used to tell us this all the time when we would, you know, when we were training, he said, I always remember when you're training at any given point, you can beat anybody in the world. But at any given point, you can be beat by anybody in the world. So always train. Yep. He would say that. He said at any given point, you can beat anybody. But remember, at any given point, somebody can beat you. So you better keep training. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Matthew Adams, when he came over to Canada, he would stop by my dojo from time to time for years off and on. One time he just had gi with him, put it on and he taught the class. It was great. It was fantastic. You know, uh, his angles, uh, his approach, it's it's just so precise. Very nice. Very, very nice. You know, I learned a lot just in those couple of classes with him. You know, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, everybody has their way of teaching, and you know, and like I said, I try to learn from everybody. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we just, like I said, we just gotta we gotta get real. That's the whole thing is get real about your training, and people just aren't real about it. You know, I'm a black belt. I take karate. Okay, I'm glad, but you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm happy. Well, we <laughs> unfortunately our arts have been, you know, piratized by commercial commercialization right there's so many dojos out there that have become belt factories and are driven by economics and you know it's like the same thing that happened to taekwondo in the 70s right the 70s and the 80s yeah. uh, that's why we kind of mock them from time to time it's not right. that the art wasn't legitimate it just got you know and now yeah with you know brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and things like that they you know it's been marketed very well I, I you know, it's a, it's a, a valuable art and it yeah. has, has its place, but you know, they're, they're, what they're really great at is marketing, you know, not that they're not skilled practitioners, but what they're yeah. really great at is marketing. Oh, definitely. And it's great stuff. I mean, I've trained in a lot of, you know, BJJ seminars. I got a chance in the nineties to go to a huge seminar for several hours with the Gracie's. And it, it was great. Um, I learned a lot. And, uh, I, you know, back then, it was kind of new to everybody. But uh, luckily, I'd already been grappling. So I felt comfortable on the ground. But interesting stuff. But they knew how to market it. I mean, they had their T-shirts and they had their posters. I mean, they knew how to put money into it and expand on it and then open up all over the place. And uh, they were smart. They, they were very smart with it uh taekwondo for years and years and years they 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 marketed uh their system like i get a lot of mid-eastern people calling me uh do you teach taekwondo that's the first thing that's coming out of their mouth because known you know in the middle east and europe that word taekwondo you know well i teach ishinru no 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 i want to take you know taekwondo because they don't know the name ishinru we've never been really commercialized um, even though it's a phenomenal system, you know, but uh, nobody really push it in that manner. I think uh, a lot of the original Ishinru people uh, between uh, Master Nagel and Armstrong and Long and uh, uh, who else, you know, I, you know, and um, uh, Bohan, people like Bohan and, uh, you know, and so on. But they, they weren't commercial people. They were just down to earth, tough, bang, bang, beat them up um, fighters, really, you know, uh, Mitchum. But yeah, here's a here's a 
quick story about I was we were at the Sabaki Challenge and Fuji Television interviewed me and they said we see you know your people they do very well here uh, we don't know Ishinru in Japan how do you guys do this you know how do you guys fight full contact knockdown and I said to them do you realize who won the very first bare knuckle full contact Kyokushin tournament held in the United States back in 1962. No, who? I said Ishinru. Gary Alexander. Gary Alexander, yeah. Okay. Masayama giving him the trophy. Probably Masayama was probably biting his tongue giving him that trophy. But I just carried on that tradition. I mean, you see pictures of Master Shambuku and his brother with Boku gear on fighting full contact. Where did that go? Where did that go? So I got to tell you guys, I was criticized a lot for kind of being different than everybody else. When when uh, when the tournaments or they heard I was going to Kilkushin stuff or I was we were kickboxing, I was criticized a lot, and they would say, ah, "He's not he's not doing Ishinru." And I said, "Really? Explain to me what Ishinru is." And they'd start with all this stuff and one, "You have no concept." You have no idea. Um, Ishinru is one heart system, one way. I took all kinds of ways, as Shambuku did, and formed one way. I'm doing what Master Shambuku did. And I have other things that I've put into my training. I haven't changed the basics or anything like that. I'm still cold, hard traditionalist. But I've brought it all in. And... I've taken it into other people's arenas and whooped their behinds. And that's a martial artist. Um, I got criticized because I was doing that, that I wasn't Ishinru. Yeah, but then, you know, go down to the Hall of Fame and hear, okay, you got your best guy in Kata? Who won? <laughs> you know, oh, that's your best fighter? He's going to the hospital with broken ribs. I, I swear <laughs> <laughs> and I, I broke a few and I uh, detached one guy's retina because, oh, this guy, Sandra Strong comes up to me. Albert, we're going to circle around you when you're fighting and start yelling, team, team, team. I said, why? That's what you guys do for your team. Yeah, but this guy was kicked off our team. We want you to give it to him. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not going to go. You know, I'm not going to. I'm just there. I'm in the tournament. I'm going to do what I do have to win. Right. I stay within the rules. So we, I was up two nothing on this guy. We stepped out of the ring. So referee, Mr. Buckles at the time says, stop. Yummy. Okay. I stop. I'll go back in the ring. Boom. He hits me full out right in the mouth. Just gave me a cheap shot. Master Buckles looked at me. Albert, you all right? Said, yeah, I'm okay. I just my mouth got out, spit out some blood, put it back in. He says, no. Are you okay? He knew me, right? He was uh, up here. Okay? <laughs> he knew what was coming. <laughs> I'm okay. I got the photo of it. I, was, uh, I went to a right foot forward stance, which a lot of point fighters do, but I usually fight, you know, like a kickboxer. So I went right foot forward and I just launched, boom, everything, right hand, hit him. His, you see, I got the picture, his head snapping back in my arm, just going right through. 
poor guy. They had to rush him to the hospital. I detached his retina. But I got the point and, and won. But they weren't going to disqualify me. I did it in the middle of the ring. He did it outside when we weren't supposed to do it. But the point is, like, it, it, it was Ishinru. They let us hit back in the day. What happened to all that? The vocal gear. What happened to all that? You know, I threw a guy at the, uh, the Hall of Fame one time. It was more of a reaction. I went for a spin back fist. I got him. I went for a spin back fist again. You don't go to the well twice, you know. And he slipped behind me. And all of a sudden, I see the bridge hand. It's right here. Oh, Ipon Sayanagi. Single arm throw. Just, it was a reaction. Everybody knew. Master Long knew. It was a reaction. But, and I threw the punch. Like, when he went down, I punched him in the ribs. And it was his reaction. Master Long looks at me. I'll have none of that in my ring. And I, you know, and he's looking at all the judges. Now, we're going to call for point. But he didn't want them to call for point, right? He wanted to get, get me a penalty because he didn't like that throw. I swear to God, all four judges went point. And the crowd just exploded, man. It was, it was wild. But they let us fight. And we weren't being malicious. You're a black belt. You take a shot. You know what irritates me at, at, at tournaments? When black belts get, start crying about getting hit a little bit too hard. If it wasn't malicious, okay? There are some guys that are out there trying to hurt you. No, that's not cool, okay? And as a judge, I'll break that up and I'll disqualify that person in a heartbeat because they're being malicious. But if you just fight, two black belts fighting, and I've done that. I've had the black belts come in. I'm center judge and I say, okay, guys, you know, I want to see clean technique, but I want to see black belt technique. I'm not going to give you a point if you just pattern like that. I won't. I don't. And, and they go, okay. And, and I see good fights when I explain how it's supposed to be done. They want to do that. They do want to do They want to fight. But we're not letting them for some reason. I don't get it. There's a set of rules. They're going to be fine. They're big boys and girls. Let them fight. I know insurance companies and all that get in the way and all that liability. But then if you get in the ring, whatever ring it is to compete, the assumption of risk, there's always a chance to get hurt. So you're going to sue because you got hurt, but you were in a boxing match, kickboxing match, uh, a karate match, but you're going to sue. You knew you could have got hurt. Person wasn't being malicious. You just got caught and you're going to cry about it. And I see that and it irritates. I don't even talk to me. I don't want to talk to people like that. They should just take off their black belts and go home. Yeah. yeah. You know, I had the uh, distinct pleasure of being disqualified in a ring. You were centering once at the hall of fame. <laughs> I mean, it, it was legit, but uh, I, I did render my opponent unconscious and uh <laughs> You, you you complimented my technique. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> I don't want to qualify you, but according to the rules. Right. I, it was a, it was the rule set, you know. Yeah. But, yeah, I hit a guy with a hook on the jaw. You know, I, I stepped in through a, a, a low squat kick, back fist reverse punch, and then I just clipped him on the jaw. And yeah. uh, <laughs> he, he dropped he, his guard. He took a nap. He but, dropped yeah. his guard. He <laughs> got him. But. What did I say? Nice technique? That's exactly uh, what, yeah. 
Well, yeah, I turned around and they come back and rendered the disqualification. And, and you were like, I was going to score your kick, but that was a good hook. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I always like fighting in rings where you're judging. Yeah. Yeah. I could let you fight. You know, yeah. I try to keep within the rules, but I'll let right. you fight. But everybody exactly. knows the game because I explained it. Right. Yep. Exactly. You, you know, oh, well. <laughs> Sorry for disqualifying you, but yeah, was my my was my <laughs> issue, right? My, my fault. Uh, oh man! I the- you know, a few times as a judge because yeah. I get in the middle of it to break it up sometimes, you know, and I boom, and they oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, no problem. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. You get it in the heat of combat. You know, things can happen. We we've all been there. I was in a tournament. Um, it was an Akibalon tournament, and we couldn't hit in the groin. Well, you know, Master Woods, look, when you get out there, hit in the groin. But we're not supposed to. That's okay. Hit in the groin, you get a warning. Hit the groin again, you, you lose a point. But then you got the groin, and you, I said, okay, fine. So that's what I did. Well, apparently the guy's cup wasn't adjusted right because I did a squat kick, and oh, his oh, cup yeah. kind of slid down the side of his legs. And they kind of looked at me and said, all right, point, disqualify, blah, 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 blah. So I ended up winning, you know, he took first place, I took second because they gave him this point. He jumped up and did this Power Ranger tap on my head. But afterwards <laughs> he came, he said, man, that was a great kick. When we yeah. got back to the dojo, Master Woods, everybody was telling everybody and they said, uh, well, he said, well, Gully, how did you do? And I said, well, you know, this and that. And they said, well, actually he kicked the guy's cup out. Master Woods gave me a hug. That's what I'm talking about. And it's like, yeah, I yeah. kind of missed that. You can't do that now. I tell you, but- Master got me at a, at a tournament he, he first Kersey went up against some Panazole went up against him he, he eliminated them and they're going looking at me like okay I'm gonna go after him but he played the wrong game I watched him get beat and I'm going oh I'm gonna get this guy and I, he slipped me his angle rich hand yes he got me man I'm going and you know the other guys are looking at me like all right give me a second here boom he got me with three rich hands I, I'm cold and he laughs about it, right? It's like, okay, you got me. <laughs> he he's phenomenal. He he's such a good guy, good martial artist. Very there is a traditional martial artist. Yeah. Right. And we've yeah. been we've been blessed to have been, you know, Vince and I, we've been blessed to have come up with the tradition. And I just I don't want to see that tradition fade. I had the pleasure, um, uh, um Master Connell Loveless. He yeah. um, asked me to sit in on one of his black belt tests last week. And it, it was a real treat because when he runs his tests, what he does, there's two parts. The first part, the, the candidates for black belt, well, you've got to do your calisthenics first. He makes you do three sets of your push-ups, your sit-ups, and your jumping jacks. Then you immediately do your katas. Then if you judge well enough, then you can move on. Because he says, he says, bottom line, he says, martial arts. Yes, it's good to know that you can do it, but you've got conditioning is also a part of it. Yeah. And I kind of like that because when you go into the dojo, what's the first thing you do? You do your push-ups, your sit-ups, your basics, you know. So they, they did that. You do your push-ups, your sit-ups, then you do your basics. And if you're good, then you can continue the test. And I, I thought that was really a really nice thing to see, that yeah. traditional set where it's, you know, it's hard to get your black belt. When we got our black belts, I mean, it was, it was hard. Yeah, you fought, you fought everybody in the dojo, man. I mean, and it was cool. You start out with the, with the lower cues, and you're throwing everybody and everybody. But then you get to the black belts, then you get to the high black belts, and you got your you got beat down. But you knew when you walked out, there was no doubt in your mind that you earned that belt. 
And when you walk on the street, there's no doubt in your mind that, oh, I can hurt you if I have to. Yeah. And I don't want to see that tradition lose. I don't want to see that go away, especially in today's times, because I think the martial arts, we, you know, we started this podcast to try to show people that the benefits of martial arts, mentally, physically, you know, I think yeah. we need that mindset where like, hey, it doesn't matter if you're old or young, man, woman, fat, skinny. If you learn something and practice it, you will be able to apply it and it will be of some use to you. And I don't, I hate to see that get watered down and I hate to see us lose that. And that's why, again, I say it's important for uh, traditional masters like yourself and, you know, uh, Master Stein and, and Master Aika to get back out there so people know who you guys are, what you guys did, where you guys come from. So you can see this is our lineage. This is who we are. Yeah. And we've got to keep becoming that. And um, with that in mind, I, uh, Vince, you always makes me keep track of the time. And we're kind of pushing our time here. So I'm going to, for myself, I'm going to just say, it's been such an honor to formally meet you because I've seen you in a lot of tournaments. I've watched you break and I've watched you judge. And it's always been a treat because you're, you're very animated. Well, <laughs> is, let me give you very one, animated. Let me give you one, been great. one more thing. Mm -hmm. You guys know when and why, how I got my black belt? No. Okay. June 26, 1976. I got it in Cleveland. But. The black belts in Windsor tested me. I was under 18. Wasn't allowed back then. Not even junior black belts. They didn't have them. I didn't want some, you know, they were, they had a thing called Shodan Ho, right? Which was like a junior. I did everything everybody else did. I fought everybody. And actually I was, Mr. Markovich will tell you, I was kicked out of children's class because I made other, uh, the other kids cry. I was put in the adult class. <laughs> Hey, suck it up, buttercup. But, you know, so they didn't want to make the decision. They didn't think they had the authority to break the, the standard rule. So I had to go to Detroit, Gratiot and Six Mile. Lloyd Russ's dojo. That dojo, was it was just a brawl for it all. And they found this little Canadian boy could fight. I passed that. But even Lloyd Russell didn't want to make that decision to break the rule. So he said, you're going to have to go see Harry Ackland. Lamont Kersey, you know, he's older than me. He had his, his license and everything. He said, hey, Albert, I, I'm, I'll drive you. So we went the next weekend. I went to Cleveland, had to perform uh, empty hand and weapons kata and uh, passed that. And he made the decision to, to uh, promote me to black belt. So I nobody gave it to me. And that's one thing I'm, I'm proud of. I tested for every rank, formal testings, including up to eighth on. Ninth on, there was no testing. And when I hosted the AOK World Championships here in Windsor in 2006, we had great, great weekend uh, gradings. We had uh, seminars. We had a banquet. We had the tournament. And at the tournament, uh, they always announce, uh, you know, who got their next rank and hand them out. So, you know, uh, of course, I'm at the head table and helping with Master Lazat with all this. And then at the end of it all, Master Lazat calls me up and he says, you know, everybody, we have one more thing here and promoted me to ninth time. And uh, later I took him aside. I said, why, why did you do that? He says, because 
if I would have told you ahead of time, you would have turned it down. The guy turned down. See, everybody's rank happy. People don't understand. I turned down several ranks. I've already been offered a uh, tenth on twice. Once by an Eastern Rural Organization, a major one, and because they wanted somebody to lead it, and another organization. But number one, I was always too young. I was 47 when I got my ninth, right? That's way too young. I, I got my sixth in 1988. You know, so I was what, 20, 27. Wow. So, um, but I had the time, but it wasn't about rank. And I turned down ranks many, many times. It's about doing the work. Like I said, time and effort and you'll get the results. And I just want to leave with that because too many people are rank happy. It's not about rank. Like I said, it could be very rank if you didn't earn it. <laughs> and I get on that note, Master Mady, thank you so much. Vince, closing thoughts for us. Yeah, I just want to thank Master Mady for his time today. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity, feel very fortunate to have been places where he's been over the years, tournaments. Like I said, this, this guy works. He's a road warrior. He's out there all over the place at, at different tournaments with his fighters uh, and himself. He's, you know, he's, he's out there doing it. And, uh, you know, above all, this guy is a, is a teacher. If, if he's in the room, he's approachable. And, you know, he loves to share what he knows with, with people. And, and I, I just, I think you can't say that enough about him. Uh, I mean, I've, I've trained with him myself at, in hotel hallways or yeah. areas. He'll be out there at night with just the pads and get four or five guys out there. And, you know, he's just trying to share as much as he can. Uh, he deserves a whole lot of props for giving back. You know, he's not holding anything to himself. Uh, like I said, first and foremost, he, he's a teacher and he, he, he does it like he said, he's not doing requiring anything of his students. He's not doing himself. And I have the utmost respect for, for him for doing that. He's a, he's a great ambassador for martial arts. He's a great ambassador for, for Ishinru and just a great role model. So anybody out there that sees this, if you ever have the opportunity uh, to be around, I, I highly suggest you uh, try to get some little gem from him uh every opportunity that that you can and again i just i just want to thank you sir thank, thank you, for you all that you do thank you thank you very much gentlemen uh you humbled me you know it's uh thanks for the compliments like i said i'm just like everybody else doing my thing you go to my vi uh pictures and videos and all that you got about 200 videos up there master Mady, thank you again vince thank you and everyone out there you know continue to be safe continue to adhere to whatever protocols are in place because we are still in the pandemic, even though we are getting better. And above all else, keep training. Be safe, everybody.